Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Through each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We make leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we are encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be hearing from Dr. Barry Creamer. Dr. Creamer has served as president of Criswell College since 2014. After spending a combined 10 years as both a member of the faculty and as the vice president of academic affairs, he holds a BA in English from Baylor University, an MDiv from Criswell College, and a PhD in Humanities from the University of Texas at Arlington. For more than 20 years, Dr. Creamer pastored churches across Texas, and he continues to preach conferences, teach lay audiences, and serve as interim pastor for churches in transition. He has spent over a decade hosting his own podcast, Coffee with Creamer, a program covering relevant issues in ethics, ministry, and worldview. Without further ado, Dr. Barry Creamer. I am uh, honored to be able to speak to you again and happy to be able to spend this particular chapel with you. We refer to this first chapel of each semester as a convocation, our gathering together. And for us especially, it's a reminder of the purpose uh, for which we uh, enter into each semester and what we hope to accomplish uh, by the end of that semester and why we are doing it. So I'm going to share with you a word from Psalm 43 today. Uh, For those of you who know me, uh, you know I I go through books of the Bible when I'm preaching and whatever church I'm at that weekend or whatever chapel I'm in, that's just the next text. That's what I usually cover. On occasion, I'll break that routine, but today uh, I'm in Psalm 43 because the former Psalm I was in was Psalm 42. And so Psalm 43 is today. So the 43rd Psalm, it'll fit perfectly for us. Uh, And if you've uh, studied this psalm at all or the one before it, you know uh, that one way to take these two psalms is together, uh, understanding that there there are certain things in the structure and just in the obvious writing of Psalm 43 that make it look like the conclusion to Psalm 42, pretty obviously. Uh, And so, I mean, part of that's just in the expression in verse 5 of Psalm 43, why are you cast down on my soul? I'm reading it from the King James right this moment. I'll be in the ESV most of today. Oh, my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And you see that in verse 5 of Psalm 42, why are you cast down on my soul? Exactly the same expressions. And in verse 11 of Psalm 42. So when you're reading Psalm 42, which I did previously, when you're studying Psalm 42, it does stand out that the psalm is uh, pretty obviously and clearly divided into two distinct sections, each of which has two different uh, underpinnings to it or two different groundings to what's going on in it. That's pretty obvious in the 42nd Psalm, and it's, it, it is distinctive. That's not normal. They're usually not paired like that, and so you sort of expect a third part. So I can see why people would put Psalm 43 in, in with it. However, when I preach Psalm 42 by itself, 
it is complete. The thought is complete, and uh, it is a magnificent message. So whether it's supposed to be a part of Psalm 43, uh, whether Psalm 43 is supposed to be a part of Psalm 42 or not, if it is as Psalm 43, sort of like an appendix. Well, let's also say this about that same matter and come to this conclusion. Either way, we're going to communicate the idea in Psalm 43 today, understanding what also comes out of Psalm 42 just at a basic level. So I'm just explaining what we're covering today, but it's really those five verses in Psalm 43 that I want to do. But I do want you to have uh, the background of Psalm 42 in your mind. In Psalm 42, you know, because it's the one that begins with the deer panting. I went to, uh, I went to a church and, and preached one time for a men's conference and their men's conference was called Deer Pants. That's what the organization was called. It's a, it's a church down in Mansfield. And it was fun, and I enjoyed it. I had a great time, and I love that they do that, and blah, blah, blah. But the funny thing about that language, you know, of course, as the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul longs for you, that kind of, that's what Psalm 42.1 says. The funny thing about that statement is that, frankly, we just don't understand at all what's going on with it ourselves. Psalm 42 is not a psalm about us needing to learn to love God so much that we just desire him. That's not what Psalm 42 is about. It's not about organizing people together so they have a heart after God. Psalm 42 is an opening expression of someone who is dying in the desert, and they realize how bad things are around them. And so they're praying the same thing that David has shared with us a number of times in the first book of the Psalms, Psalms 1 through 41, where he's crying out to God in hiding, fleeing from his enemies or in desolation or seeing destruction or betrayal or whatever it is and saying, how long, O Lord, until you bring the right thing into this world? You know, how long is this evil going to be a part of our society and the, the the weird thing about us I mean it's it's normal I mean I don't, I don't know why anybody wouldn't be this way it's that normal in us but the sort of sad and weird thing about us is that we spend so much of our entire lives and all of our capital as a society making the world so that we're not desolate and barren and feeling abandoned and isolated. We're reducing risk and eliminating hazards and dangers and basically enveloping ourselves in bubble wrap as a society, right? This is the whole nature of what people do. Again, I'm not criticizing us for it. This is humanity. This is what we've always done. You want to make sure you're not hungry in the winter, and so you figure out how to manage your crops better and manage the land better and manage the economy better and fine. And then we develop insurance so that we can eliminate the risk of getting sick or having your house burned down. Oh, we'll just replace that for you because you were prepared for it. And we make sure that every morning we can wake up and say, God, I don't need you today. I'm not really thirsty or hungry. I'm all right. If you want to come down and make me feel good, I'd love that because that would add some depth to my life. That'd be cool. So I'll pant after you because I want more emotional engagement in my life. But that's missing the real point of what David would be expressing in the first 41 Psalms in general and what in this Psalm, the sons of Korah, the ones who are teaching Israel to worship and providing the tools for them to be able to worship corporately together the Lord. 
the thing that they're actually saying, which is a recognition of the pain that is in the world, not turning away from it, not pretending it's not there, not, not, not wallowing in it either, not desiring it, but recognizing that it's there. Two, two different things happened this uh, weekend, uh, over this weekend, this extended weekend. Saturday, I was fortunate enough uh, to be invited to participate in the March for, North Texas March for Life. So that was in downtown Dallas, you know, so we marched through downtown streets. They marched. I met them at the rally point. And I spoke uh, to, the, to the crowd that gathered at the very end. I was the last one. And I pronounced the benediction, spoke, uh, you know, the prayer. And I said to them the same thing that I'm saying to you. We have forgotten how to pray the words. How long, O Lord, until these things come to an end? I told them, you know, we have, we've, we've just forgotten that we have painted this veneer of prosperity and comfort and success and satisfaction and contentment on a canvas that's red with the blood of 50 million lives over the last 50 years. 50 million unborn lives that have been lost. And for us not to wake up every day and say, Lord, how long until you make these things right? I know what you're saying to yourself. Oh, I, I don't mean that like I'm a prophet. I mean, I know what a lot of people would say in response to that is, oh, oh, we got Roe v. Wade overturned. That's done. You realize that all the people who were getting abortions still live next door to you, right? That they still have the same solution in mind when they face a crisis pregnancy or an unexpected pregnancy. And that the culture hasn't changed, only a ruling changed. We're still the same people. And we stood, should still be waking up every day and saying, how long, O oh Lord, until... And then, so that was Saturday, and I'm, I'm very grateful for every opportunity I have like that. And then Monday, uh, I had the opportunity, Kendall Lyons puts us, uh, gets us an entry in the MLK parade, and I'm so grateful for the work that he does. And uh, so a group of students uh, and Kendall and um, maybe another staff member or two, and then uh, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, you guys were there. Will was there. Rainey was there. And a few others. Ed Michelle was there. And I don't know. Uh, Dennis came out and took some pictures. We're really grateful for that. And I would point out everybody was there. I don't, but I'm really thankful for everybody who showed up. Uh, and we marched in the MLK parade, had our banner out with Criswell College. And James Mayville, you know, our former Student Government Association president, marched with us as well. And he was working the crowd, man. I mean, it's like he was running for mayor. I don't know what was going on. He got more. There was a guy behind us in the parade who is running for mayor. And, and James got more votes than that guy did uh, for mayor. It was amazing. Uh, but it was, it is interesting. I don't know how you, I don't know how I could participate in one without participating in the other. It just doesn't make sense to me to be honest with myself about the injustices, the things that we've done in our culture to become what we are and the things other people have gone through that I've not paid attention to. I don't pay attention to every time a young woman wakes up and doesn't know what to do about an unplanned pregnancy, and I don't pay attention uh, to every time a family loses uh, their son to prison 
because he did something that in other parts of the country wouldn't have led to anything at all, you know? I don't, I don't deal with that every day. So I can wake up every day and just say, oh, Lord, thank you for the, the clear skies and the beautiful life you've given me and, you know, help me to have passion for you. But, you know, in Israel, in ancient times and among the Hebrew people, of course, there were plenty who lived the same way I'm describing. They're described by the prophets. But as a nation, they were assigned by God the role of suffering in this world so that they would cry out to God for something to be different in this world, even in them, and for them to recognize that we live in a barren desert wilderness without God's presence being manifest to us normally. And calling out and saying, as the deer pants for the water when he's in the desert and without, my soul longs for you. I'm separated from you. Okay. So this is Psalm 42. The background of that psalm is what I was just giving you. And then the message in that psalm is pretty simple. We're in the desert and we've wandered away from God's fountain. Our enemies say to us, where is your God? But the question isn't where God is. The question is where we went away from God. How did we get so far from him and why aren't we listening to him anymore? And so in the psalm, he takes us down to a a second set of verses that deal with how God is still speaking and his presence can still be known to us even when we haven't returned to his mountain. You know, so up in Jerusalem at the temple, sons of Korah are writing this, so probably. But also if it's just in David's day and with the tabernacle, you know, coming back to the place of God and finding refuge in his house is the goal. And we find ourselves out in the desert instead, longing for his water. And in that context, he says, but I'm out here and I hear your waters calling to each other. Deep calls to deep. You know how he describes that. And then he goes beyond that. And what, you know, if you've been to Israel, you know how that makes sense in some of the areas in the northern part of Israel where there are waterfalls calling to each other and you can hear them. Or maybe it's the waterfalls out in the desert where you're in the right place and you can hear them, whichever one he's referring to. He's saying your waters call to each other. I hear your voice even when I'm not in Jerusalem before your house or in your temple. I still hear your voice. And I'm encouraged by that. But more than that, he says... In fact, your waves and your billows, they're washing over me. And so he's, de- he's not describing having been removed from the desert land of this world and given to the eschaton or even entering into the holy place of God. He's saying, I'm out here in the desert and I remember now your grace washes over me here. Your chesed, your mercy, I mean, washes over me here. Your loving kindness. It's a, it's a great reminder for people who are out in the wilderness. And then the, and then the sons of Korah part comes back into it when they talk about giving us how the Lord has given us a song in the night so that we can worship him. So, so in Psalm 42, we hear his voice in the wilderness and his mercy and love flows over us in abundance. By day, the Lord, this is in verse 8 of Psalm 42, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So that now I know even when I am away from God because I'm in this desert, barren wilderness, 
I'm still with God, and I'm still able to praise God, and I'm able to give him these things because of what he's given to me, and the sons of Korah would be saying, right here in this song that you can sing together to my presence and realize that I'm still right there with you, that my mercy is still right there with you, my covenant is still right there with you, I'm blessing you. We start then in Psalm 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and the unjust man. Deliver me. He's prayed the same kind of thing in Psalm 42, not in exactly those words, though. And this describes the problem that we have, which takes two forms, the problems that we have here and now. Number one is the adversity of our enemies. So vindicate me, O God, defend me against the ungodly people from the deceitful and the unjust man, deliver me. Those ungodly enemies, those ones who are unholy, they were not set apart by God, are the ones who in Psalm 42 were declaring, where is your God? Like in verse 3, if you go back and look at it, we're not going to worry about it right now. But so, I'm, so I have one problem is I've got enemies who are fighting against me. This is the reality of of committing yourself to the Lord, that there are people who will oppose you. It's always going to be that way. It's, you know, it's, that's just the nature of following God in a world that's not committed to God. The, the world is fundamentally at odds with God. That's the nature of this, this created order. James 4 describes it perfectly clearly. Okay. The second problem seems worse, and that is not only do I have adversaries that I've got to deal I'm just describing the problem with the psalmist in Psalm 43. I've got adversaries or enemies but also God himself has rejected me. So somehow or another, I'm being excluded from God's presence. Verse two, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? So he returns to his enemy at the end of the verse, but at the beginning of the verse says, and God, I come seeking refuge from you. You're the one I look for, for help, look to for help, and, and, you, and you reject me. Back in Psalm 42, God doesn't fully reject us. God just sort of forgets us. You know, he, he ignores us. This is how he describes it in Psalm 42, verse 9. I said to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? God, my rock is God, my fortress, the one in whom I'm trying to find shelter, the one in whom I find strength. Why have you forgotten me? Why have you ignored me out here in the desert? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with deadly wounds in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So first, I have to acknowledge the problem. That's what I was describing for you. And by the way, uh, for I'm not, I do not at all believe we're supposed to desire suffering that, that doesn't make any sense at all. It wouldn't be suffering if you desired it. That, that's, that would just m mean you're psychologically confused in some way. And I'm not trying to be a psychologist or a counselor. Talk to one of the people who knows that stuff and they can help you. Dr. Hunter will help you with that. Fine. I am pointing out suffering is suffering because you don't want it. What suffering does bring that you do want is all the stuff that we've talked about a thousand times in James chapter 1. It can bring stuff that you want, but you don't want the suffering. So I'm not saying to you, oh, well, let's learn to pray to God and say, oh, God, please make my life more miserable. I'm too happy. Life is too easy. And yet there is a burden that's given to every believer after the resurrection to let our laughter be turned to help me. Let our laughter be turned to, ooh, we need to work on this. Let our laughter be turned to mourning. 
Faculty know it like the back of their hands. <laughs> Not because they mourn all the time, I'm just saying. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy be turned to heaviness. This is after the resurrection. This is, this is, you know, this is given to us as believers in the knowledge that the Holy Spirit indwells us and that God has won his victory through Christ. And let your laughter be turned to mourning. It's not saying we don't have joy. It's not saying we don't have peace. It's not saying Paul is wrong in Philippians 4 when he talks about the contentment that he finds, knowing he has satisfaction and sufficiency in Christ. None of that's undermined, and yet somehow our laughter is supposed to be turned to mourning. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. We're supposed to grieve with those who are imprisoned as if we're imprisoned with them. In other words, if you yourself in your own life are not facing the crisis that brings you to your knees and makes you say, Lord, why have you turned away from us? Why have you rejected us? Then surely you can say it sincerely on behalf of someone you care about who is experiencing that. And if you say, no, everybody I know is blessed, then you don't know enough people. And I don't mean that in the trite way. I mean, we're part of a fellowship that's worldwide with people who are imprisoned because they are Christians. We, we live in a world with children dying because they can't eat. And we go to bed saying, Lord, this was a pretty good day. Thanks. No temptations, no sins. Eh, it was good. Didn't fail my class. Let's have another good one tomorrow, Lord. Or we take on the role that God gives us as his people of standing in for those who are suffering and suffering with them. Not pretending, not just praying from a distance. An intercessor suffers with them. Christ didn't act like he cared about us on the cross. He carried our burdens. He bore our infirmities. That's who we're supposed to be, Christ. Okay, so you get the idea. I'm saying this part of the, even though this sounds like, well, I don't have a lot of enemies, so I don't have a lot to pray about here. We all have the need to say this same thing that the psalmist is saying and to say it because Christ says it. Christ himself says all of this. You know Psalm 22. So that's the problem. We have adversaries who are opposed to us. And more importantly, God himself has rejected us. We're, we're out here in the barren wilderness. And so the second part is the solution. And the solution is for God to invite us into his dwelling. Now, I'm not going to spend very much time on this at all. I would love to spend a whole semester on this. But the importance of God, you know, in this, in this image that he's giving, of God doing what we're supposed to do is when somebody's in need and they're out there and they're isolated and they're alone and they need a place to be, that we open our door and we invite them in and we become their host. And as their host, we provide what they couldn't find anywhere else, shelter. And then because we provided that for them, God uses them to provide for us a message or a friendship or whatever it is that comes out of it, right? So here, the psalmist, the sons of Korah put this together, the psalmists are saying, so we have come to you, God, and, and you've rejected us, but we need you to invite us into your dwelling. We need you to lead us to your house and to invite us into your presence. So in verse 3, send out your light and your truth. So it's not a metaphor about water anymore. It's now light and truth, all the things that we would associate with the very words that we're receiving from the sons of Korah, for instance, the light of his word, the truth of his word. 
Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your mishkan, your dwelling, your tabernacle, your house. That's where I want to be, not out here in the wilderness, not out here as a stranger. I want to be brought in to your house. This is the same idea that comes up in Psalm 42 in verse 8. It's the same idea that's conveyed, which is that he's not saying, I don't want to be in the world anymore. I mean, ideally, it would be. Take me to heaven. Take me to your very presence. But in this world, Lord, provide shelter for me. Let me come into your tabernacle and at least offer the sacrifices there that you would accept, as you'll see, he says, in just a moment. In Psalm 42, that manifests itself in this way when he's talking about the deep calling to deep and your waters overflowing me. And then he says, and and your song, you've given me a song at the night. Your song is with me at night. He gives us this light and this truth to lead us into his presence even while we're out in the desert or the wilderness or in the street of the city or facing our adversary. We have this song that we can sing at the night. And then what does that lead to is a resolution here in verse 4. It's still part of the solution in verse 4. Then when you invite me into your tabernacle, when you invite me into your dwelling place where you live, then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will... So, you know, I mean, we're going to the altar of God. We need to offer a sacrifice. So kill an animal. You know, ideally kill your enemy. Shed their blood. Put them on the altar. Obviously, they don't do that, you know, after human sacrifices. They didn't even offer an animal here. (laughs) I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, with the harp. Oh, God, my God. So, I mean, the amazing thing about this is the problem was that I had these enemies that I was facing, and I'm looking for a solution about the enemies that I'm facing And nothing in the solution that actually comes has to do with my enemies. It has to do with me having found shelter in the house of God and in the house of God lifting up praise to God. It's, I don't don't know if this is explicitly what they would have said, but it seems hard to avoid the idea that he's saying, you know, when I come into your house and the enemies are all out there, I come into your house, I'm in your presence I don't really care about the enemies. I'm just about you. And so I start offering the sacrifices of God, which are the praises and thanksgiving that we offer. The book of Hebrews describes it that way. The other Psalms describe it that way. So we offer these sacrifices of praise that God receives. And the enemies are just, you know, they're not going to get my attention. I'm in the presence of God. Why would I give the enemies my attention? And so, I, you know, I can't, I can't read this without thinking about Paul and Silas uh, being in Philippi for several reasons, a bunch of reasons. So I, you know, you, as you read this story, you can go back and read it uh, another time. I won't give you all the details now, but in Acts 16, starting in verse 25, is where you have this passage about Paul and Silas. And remember, the context of this in Psalm 42 is he gives us songs at night. And so Paul and Silas, here they are singing these songs at midnight. They're, Paul and Silas are in a Roman city, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, a, uh, it's like Sodom to them. And the, the story as Luke gives it to us, I won't give you all the details, but the story as Luke gives it to us is, uh, you know, a, 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 a recapitulation 
uh, to a certain point of the story of Sodom. Two messengers show up. Uh, the city is inhabited by uh, pagans, Gentiles. There's no Jewish synagogue. The, the Jews who live there are outsiders. They're sojourners. They're strangers. They go out to the, to the river in order to have their prayer time. And the only person who accepts their message in the story to this point is a sojourner, like Lot is in Sodom, if you're not keeping up with what I'm talking about. And so they go to the sojourner, and the sojourner receives them, takes them into her home, and they're all good, and they go out and preach again, and everybody rejects them and throws them in prison, just like you would expect a city full of outsiders and a, a city full of non-Jews to receive the messengers. And now you expect God to send his judgment down on them in some way. And sure enough, an earthquake comes, right? So the earthquake comes, everybody's going to be destroyed. All those wicked enemies are going to be destroyed. But instead, Paul and Silas who in the midst of this wicked place where they've been imprisoned to wait for somebody to give judgment on them the next day, they, in this desert wilderness, having been rejected by everybody around them and not finding shelter in a house of God for sure, there's no house of God there, are singing praises to God in the midst of his holy place. You know, they're lifting up their songs to God at midnight. And when the earthquake comes, instead of great destruction coming on the entire city and the smoke of their pillar rising up for the church of Jerusalem to see from a distance and see how God has blessed them and cursed our enemies, instead they go to the Philippian jailer and say, hey, don't, don't hurt yourself. Uh, we, we're all here. No, nothing's changed. You're all right. And they lead him to Christ, and he comes to Christ, and his family comes to Christ, and they begin to receive Paul and Silas as these messengers that deserve to be taken in, and they wash their wounds, and they start treating them like the hosts they should have been to begin with. I'm, I'm saying all of that to you because the way this psalm is written is the thing that Paul and Silas live out when, when, when they sing the songs that God has given us in the psalms to lift up before him so that we are in his presence, even when we're out in the desert wilderness, so that we don't dwell on our enemies and run in fear from them or respond to them, but instead lift up our praises to the God who's drawn our attention. And everything it is to be a believer is wrapped up in that idea. When you become a believer, you become a person who's not governed by all the other things that are opposed to you in this world but by the God who has called you and provided for you and given you his words and his light and his truth to lead you to him and is, even in the midst of the desert, flowing over you with billows of his mercy and his faithful love. That's what he always is. And what we end up doing with that is what the sons of Korah do, the ones who write these psalms. We end up being able not just to find in ourselves some strength. The sons of Korah don't just do a performative worship Hey, uh, yeah, all of Israel, stand out here and we'll put together our show for you. And then when we're finished, we'll let you know you can give an offering and you'll provide for us. The object of their existence is to lead Israel in their worship, to lead the people of God into their worship. And so they're inviting us. I mean, this, this psalm is inviting us to say with the psalmist in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Yeah. Why are you in turmoil within me? Yes. Hope in God, me, yeah, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. I don't, I don't need to trample over my enemies. I need to praise God. I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. And just like the sons of Korah, 
we haven't been, you're, you're not at Criswell College just so you can, you know, get a job. We want you to get a job. We want you to prosper. We want you to be blessed in every possible way. And we equip you to do that. I'm happy for that. That's not why you're here. You can do that at 10,000 colleges around the country. You're here because, and this is why we believe you're here, and if you're not here for this, you're going to be really uncomfortable the whole time you're here. You're here because God wants to use you to lead other people to discover that there's water in the desert. He wants you to lead other people to find that there is something better to do than fight the enemy, than oppose those who are against us. That when we come into the house of God, our praise for him not only transforms us, but transforms the way we think about everyone around us, including that we grieve for them and come to God again to be refreshed and that we share that refreshing with them as well. And so my, my prayer for you this semester and the reason I've shared this psalm with you uh, is that you would commit this semester to being equipped yourself to find your own comfort in his presence, to recognize that no matter what the desert is you're in, that he is still washing his waves of faithful love over you, his hesed over you. That in finding that, you would recall that praising him draws your attention from all of those distractions and allows you to be equipped, not just to receive that, but to share that with the people he's going to use you to influence and to change, including those you had formerly thought of as your enemies. And I pray we all become like that, like this, those who bring others into the presence God has brought us into to deliver us from what this world is without him. Father, I pray that you would break our hearts for those who are around us, those who suffer around us, and those who suffer far off, that we would care as much for them as you do. That's what you've invited us to do. That in that grieving and longing for your presence and recognizing that in this world we have this adversarial stance against you, that there is this separation, that we would seek your presence, that we would then hear your voice, your deep calling unto deep, that we would hear your grace in the world and that we would be overflowed with it and as it washes over us would become those who are able to bring that freshness, that newness, that restoration, that rebirth, that salvation to the people who are in the world. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell Chapel podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.